Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. Welcome to the Drivers Meeting Podcast, hosted by RJ Starcevic, a.k.a. NASCAR Report, and driver and team owner of the number 44 Martins Motorsports Chevrolet in the NASCAR Xfinity Series, Tommy Joe Martin. And welcome back to the Drivers Meeting Podcast, episode number nine and the final one of 2020 as we get ready for 2021. Hope everyone had a very Merry Christmas, a Happy Holidays, uh, and hopefully a great New Year as we head in to 2021. And this episode will kind of be dedicated to just, you know, recapping 2020, kind of talking about some of our favorite moments. And I guess we can start off with just that. I mean, Tommy Joe, you were behind the wheel for uh, you know most of the year. It was a big year for you with Martin's Motorsports, your team, and everything like that. I mean, if you had to go back and kind of just think of your favorite favorite moment, at least on the racetrack for now, uh, what would that be? Um, it would probably have to still be the the top ten at, at Texas, and I know we, we spent time uh, talking about it. Really, in the moment, was not something that I I really took a lot of joy in, which is kind of sad to say. Uh, I was really more disappointed that we didn't finish eighth uh, in, in the moment. Uh, but really, as, as somebody that had made over 100 starts in, in the top levels of, of NASCAR and um, done everything from starting parking uh, to, you know, crashing twice in a weekend uh, for Mike Harmon to, uh, you know, everything that I've kind of gone through in my career uh, to get to that point and, and, have a sponsor to come in, start a team, kind of go off on your own. And in a way, it's probably better that it took all the way till about the third race <laughs> till the end of the year uh, to get that payoff. Uh, I bought some cigars in Daytona at the beginning of the year for my team because I just knew that we had it in us to, to get a top 10. I just knew it was going to happen. Uh, and, and I stayed I stayed kind of uh, with resolve to that. Like, it's still going to happen. It's still going to happen. It was three races to go. And I was like, all right, well, it better happen quick. <laughs> and really, I felt like Martinsville would be probably our best shot at it. Um, and it wound up being being at Texas. So uh, that was kind of a neat payoff to, to obviously a very up and down year um, for me in my career. Uh, but But clearly the best year that I've ever had professionally in racing. And it just happened to be, uh, for my own team and, and so many people that came together for that. And, and we all took a picture, uh, for, with, uh, the masks on in the infield <laughs> in, uh, in Texas after, after that happened. And, and I put that, that image on the back of the Christmas cards that we sent out to all of our, our team members and, and everybody that we do business with. So that's like a little keepsake that, that obviously I'm going to treasure for a really long time mm -hmm. that, that image of, a mask on, but a cigar in the mouth <laughs> at, at Texas Motor Speedway for my for my first top ten. What, what about you? What's what's the the thing that stands out to you? All the racing that you watched this year. What's the thing? I would have to say. I mean, it's just been it's been such a huge year. I guess yeah. As a as a spectator, as a from a fan perspective, you know, with everything going on for me with you know the the account and this podcast and all that stuff is one thing. But I'd say as a fan, 
this year, I mean, getting to go, you know, there were so many restrictions this year and getting to go to the Daytona races this year was awesome just to be there at the racetrack, you know, cause I mean, I didn't think I would this year. That was, that was pretty awesome to be there for, for the Coke 400 and the Daytona road course races. Um, but as a fan watching on TV, I think my, you know, the most feel good moment this year was in May at Darlington, that first race where they came back. That was honestly just, it was like, you know, because every year, um, at my house, at least we have like a Daytona 500 party. We have a get together. We put up decorations. Even if there's not a ton of people coming over, we put up decorations and we celebrate, you know, the Daytona 500 day. Cause I've never been to one personally. And I mean, it's crazy. I've been to Daytona a ton of times, never been to Daytona 500. And we have one every year we put up the decorations and it's like, you know, racing's back. Like, this is awesome. That's how it felt in May. You know, we, we decorated the house just like it was the Daytona 500, you know, racing was back at Darlington. I mean, it was, it was definitely a little weird. You didn't really feel, uh, I mean, pre-race watching the pre-race Fox, you know, Fox doesn't do like a whole at track deal for the pre-race, or at least they didn't, uh, when COVID came back, but you definitely felt it after the race when Kevin Harvick got out of the car and then you heard nothing. It was dead silent. Just, you know, some engines, a little engine rumbling in the back. You could even hear tools moving around like while he's giving his interview. But yeah, for me, that was honestly the, the most feel good moment. Like, Hey, you know, and for the sport too, because no other sport had come back uh, except for us. And we were setting the bar for that. you know, all the, the drivers and, reporters were on TV all week talking about it because, you know, we were the spotlight to see how we could do it uh, with NASCAR. So I think for me, that was definitely uh, an awesome moment. Uh, Obviously, you know, Ryan Newman, when the great news came out about him at Daytona, you know, that night refreshing Twitter, just, you know, trying to see what the update was, you know, the next morning uh, coming out of the hospital, that was, you know, there were a lot of, you know, it was a crazy year, you know, a lot of people call it a, a, you know, a bad year. It was definitely a rough year, but there were definitely some great moments in it. And I, I just feel like for 2020, it, it's, it's been so long, but it's gone by so fast. Like it felt like it just took forever. Like, wow, we're finally done. But I feel like it went back. It went by so fast. I feel like I was celebrating new year's for uh, 2020 just the other day. I mean, does it feel like that to you? Oh, absolutely. And and there was a stretch where obviously it felt like everything was happening in slow motion. And that was when we were kind of waiting for what you just talked about, which is that, okay, how are we going to get back to this? Like, is, are we just shut down for the year? And that was definitely something that some of the teams felt like could happen. And my team felt like could happen. And we were trying to make contingency plans for that. And so, like you talked about going back to that that race at Darlington and being able to do that. Uh, that was such a special thing. And, and really how that race played out in my series with Chase Briscoe being able to win in, in kind of an emotional and, and dramatic way and, and kind of setting the stage for, uh, for, for the type of racing that we put on all year, I feel like, but, but as kind of a statement of like, all right, we're back. That was, that was a really neat moment. Yeah, those races, I think uh, definitely, you know, Darlington the most. Um, and then Charlotte, you know, we went for the Coke 600 and the weekday races that we had been having, you know, it was definitely very unique. And we were just like, wow, we're, you know, we're doing this. And now, now kind of when we went to the end of the year and we got rid of the, the weekday races, we're over with, we're back on the normal schedule. It was like, wow, you know, we made it here. It's crazy. Uh, but yeah, like you talked about Chase, that Chase Briscoe win. I mean, that was awesome. And you know, the Darlington, the first Darlington race, I feel like watching any race at Darlington is just, you know, fun to watch. Like, I feel like I'm always, no matter what, I mean, it could go green the entire way, 
Uh, obviously throwback night where they have the throwback schemes at night. I mean, those are just awesome looking at the schemes. I could care less what the racing product was. Um, it's always just a great track. And you know, it, the first Darlington, I mean, we got that first racing shock when, when Jimmy Johnson was about to win stage one and then went head on into the inside wall. Yeah. And that was the, I think that was the, well, actually, I think that was probably the second moment that got us back into it. The first was the first corner and Ricky Stenhouse went into the wall. We were like, oh, we're yeah. back. We're back, we're back baby. <laughs> the, the world is, the world is writing itself. The uh, world is healing. And no practice too, for any of those drivers. I felt like turn one was so nervous. I was like the first track we're going back to is Darlington. Like, no practice, yeah. and we're going to send these guys into turn one, double file. Trust me, the thought crossed my mind too. <laughs> that was yeah, I imagine was that was because our, our race was going to be the first race, and it got delayed. Right, it got it got pushed a couple of times, um, and and that wound because Cup wound up running a double header there, if I remember correctly, and so there was like a um, whatever we got pushed to like a Tuesday or something like that. Uh, and, and because of that, I remember that so distinctly that Timmy Hill had run in, in the cup races. And so we were, we were lined up side by side. Like, and I, I hadn't raced Darlington since the year prior. And, and really, I just did a starting part for Carl Long there. So I really hadn't turned laps at speed um, there it just in, in a couple of years. It just going to take me a couple of laps to kind of get back in a rhythm. It's such a unique place. And I just remember going into turn one there, you could tell the guys that had run like BJ McLeod and, and Timmy and some of the guys that I race around because uh, they just fired it in there with all the confidence in the world. And you had the majority of the field uh, and even some rookies that had never even been there just tiptoeing. And that created just kind of a wild, a wild dynamic. We all just went piling down into turn one. It was, it was one that, that definitely was one of the more nerve wracking <laughs> moments of the year i think it was even cooler uh that chase Br i mean having kyle bush in that field you're like okay everyone else has no practice and we're racing against kyle bush and yeah. the way that chase briscoe was even and i look back on that race and kyle bush was obviously the dominant car he was very good and it's kyle bush and he i think what put him in that spot is he had a lot of uh pit road issues i think he sped like at least once or twice that race on pit road and that's what put him in the back and he had to keep coming through and briscoe i mean briscoe had probably been the second best car of that race and he held him off i mean that finish was awesome you know with with adam alexander calling it and Clint Boyer up there. They it was exciting, and it was like wow, I mean, you know, race. The best best finish of the year, I think, in, in NASCAR. I think it really was the best the best finish of the season for uh, sure. that, that we had. Uh, yeah, with all with and, all the things behind it too, you know. Yeah, especially with with everything that that Chase and his wife were going through in the moment too, just adding another layer of that, and and also with this impending like, well, is Chase Briscoe done after this year? Is the deal? Yeah, which is something we laugh, we would laugh about now, right? With the year that he wound up putting together, but like in the moment before the break, Chase Briscoe had basically said, like, well, if I don't put some real statement wins together, like it's probably the end for me, and you know, probably won't go forward. And now you kind of fast forward all this, and, and that was kind of the first flag in the ground with everything that went into it. I mean, such a great guy and uh, a great driver, and, and a great moment uh, for him and his career moving forward that's going to be on the highlight reel for his entire career uh, that finish at Darlington and, and the Darlington resurgence 
that we are now going to Darlington twice every year and, and what a great show that it put on and, and how that affected uh, the scheduling and, and really RJ, we can talk about that just really quickly, how some of the things that were pandemic choices, COVID restrictions that, that NASCAR was working around and working through with procedural policy at these racetracks and how that has now affected the sport moving forward into another year. Yeah. Uh, for sure. I mean, everything that, that went on this year, uh, like you talked about with Darlington twice, I mean, that's going to be awesome. And just to plug in, I found that, you know, this year, 2021, um, you know, I think a lot of the tracks are towards the end of the year, we saw a lot of tracks with the spectators and allowing that, um, I am, I guess one of, one of the Christmas things that we had put together, uh, is I'll be heading to Atlanta motor speedway in March. I've never been there before. I mean, you could probably tell me a little bit about it, uh, since you've been there. Uh, I know, you know, I know they are building that casino out in turn four. They're building stuff. I don't know if that's, is that in progress? Are they actually I don't think that's in progress? Yeah. That's eventually going to happen. Yes. Yeah. Eventually that's their plan. And hopefully that gets put together. Cause that's, I mean, they got two races and you know, one will be a day. Hope I think the other one's at night would be awesome. I, I, yeah, it looked really cool. I mean, every, every rendering is going to look awesome, but that looked pretty cool if they can put it together with all the, the stuff they had. I'd, I'd be looking forward to that, but yeah, I'd, I'll be heading to Atlanta motor speedway in March. And that's the only thing I have uh, set right now for this year. I'll get to see, I'll, I'll be there for your race. The, cause I think they're running an Xfinity truck doubleheader uh, yes. that weekend yes. on the same day. So it'll be probably a hot day, but you know, <laughs> Oh yeah. <laughs> they call it hot Atlanta for a reason. So yeah. We'll, oh yeah. I'll be it's sticking it out. But, yeah, but I, I think about this, RJ, like you're talking about Atlanta right now. That's one of the tracks that has benefited from everything that happened this year. Like we've talked about it on the pod. And I know we're, this is kind of our year end wrap up here. Like some of the decisions that that people way above my pay grade have made in shaping the new 2021 schedule for our sport and really the direction of the sport with more road course racing and Kentucky Speedway is gone and Iowa Speedway is gone and Chicago Land Speedway is gone and California Speedway is going to be a short track and and all of these things that that are now it, it was a, a COVID decision that was like ah. We don't know if we can go to Illinois. We don't know if we can go to California. We don't know if we can go to New York, Watkins Glen, you know, Iowa Speedway. It's going to be out of the way. We're trying to keep everything more uh, southeastern for the teams. That way they can drive in and drive back on one day and make this a one-day show. Like these things that were COVID protocols have now dramatically shaped what the sport is going to look like for years to come. It, it kind of created a realignment of the tracks and these companies – like ISC, which is now NASCAR, and SMI, which which owns so many of the speedways, to kind of realign and go, okay, we're going to kind of consolidate. There's no reason for us to have these tracks so spread out. Let's look at what are what are our best tracks, what's put on the best product. Let's try to focus on that and make it better and, and realign the schedule that way. And I think all of that with one-day shows and everything else that kind of came out of this is really affecting our budgets and, and what we're doing as race teams planning ahead this year and in the future. Yeah. It really allowed NASCAR to experiment and they're doing a lot of that this year too. And I think the experimental phase uh, with, you know, experimenting with, you know, this year, like you said, the road courses and 
uh, the new tracks, you know, like Daytona road course, like, cause that was already in place with the clash. Uh, but we did get to try it out and see how it would work. You know, nobody really had any practice on it. Um, so it was kind of just a, you know, they were practicing as they went along in that race, but it was, it was a big experimental year. And I think it really definitely paid dividends, um, for the sport, you know, what we were able to do, uh, that we probably wouldn't have been able to, if all of this happened. So, you know, with COVID coming along and then it wasn't a great thing for anybody, um, but it really allowed the sport, um, you know, we talked about it last week that even the iRacing uh, perspective with the, the pro invitational being able to do that. And now, you Definitely. know, we'll see if that's a good idea, if they decide to implement that in, in the future. But, you know, like, like we talked about last week, we're the only sport that could pull that off and have yeah. realistic fun. And it's, it wasn't racing that, you know, we would sit there and totally take seriously. You know, it was a lot of fun because, we didn't have, you know, they didn't have that for their sports. It was a lot of fun. You know, it was still realistic ish racing, but you know, it was the fun perspective. It was like, you talked about seeing Timmy Hill and Garrett Smithley battle for the lead and in, in an MBM and Rick Ware cars, uh, Jimmy Johnson and Kyle Bush running in last. I mean, you know, we not going to sit there and hope they run last, but it was, it was awesome. You know, the mix up in the field and just, having the the celebrities that would you know give the command and stuff like that and mike joy yeah. in the booth is what made it great i think it was just such a it's such a very experimental year and we were put in that position and i think nascar did a very good job at it yeah it was forced creativity and, and look at how many things came out of it and these were all things that that as fans of the sport as people in the industry we, we had kind of clamored for change and wanted something to really refresh the sport and make it feel different, but, but new and, and kind of re-engage and give us some new ideas and new things that we can maybe kind of look to. And what a year for that. Uh, and, and how much it has changed what we're now planning on going forward. I, I think it's really kind of a, a neat year. It's going to go down. Obviously this is a landmark year. This is a year that everybody's going to look back on and remember in, in very different ways and how, how it affected so many different people for the NASCAR world it is going to be a landmark year for change. And what was really a year that shifted uh, the schedule and the way that we do race weekends, the procedure, the people involved, the time at the track, realigning that, it'll be a banner year for esports and how that turns into the Coca-Cola E-Series and how that moves forward and how that's done and iRacing and the integration with NASCAR. And, and also just the way we interact with the sport. What is the what what is the TV broadcast like? Practice? Do we need that? Uh, like, what's the fan experience like? What's a smaller capacity crowd? What does that look like? Uh, just so many questions that that had to get answered as immediate answers, and now we're kind of planning for uh, in the future. Yeah, this thing about no practice and a lot of there were a lot of fans and people who didn't really you know like it. Uh, because they want to see racing on their TV Friday, Saturday, Sunday practice and, and qualifying and everything like that. But the thing that, you know, as, as I get more and more into the sport and, and understand all the budgets and the costs and everything like that, I'm kind of fine with it. I, me personally, I think next year is probably the best thing um, that NASCAR could have done. You can speak on a driver behalf and on an owner behalf, but I think, you know, 
of course we could have practice for every race and we got to practice for no races, but I think having practice and qualifying for the new tracks that drivers are going to really need some experience on having the full speed weeks experiment, which is now actually going to be speed weeks with an S since we'll be in Daytona for two weeks. And I think having that, because, you know, we're at a point in the sport where budget is always being talked about with teams going out the door, teams coming in the sport. And especially for teams like you, the Xfinity series and, and truck series uh, and stuff like that. It's, it's awesome to, to save the money because it does save money only come to the track one day. And, you know, and, and like you said, and a lot of people that I've talked to that are racing for the lesser budget teams, it puts you almost not on an equal playing field with everyone, but on a more, you know, equal scale, you know, you can run out there on some days. And if you really, you know, hit it, uh, you'll be running with some of the top guys if they really miss the setup. Um, and we saw that in the Xfinity series a lot. Um, we saw that, you know, in the truck series, sometimes the truck series races are very short. So I felt like it was just track position is huge in the truck series, but in the cup series, um, it was like that. Sometimes I remember the Martinsville race is the one I remember most is a ton of guys missed the setup. You had Corey LaJoy running almost in the top 10. Uh, Cause he just, I mean, he's a wheel man and they obviously did the right thing, but I think it's, I think it's definitely more, more element of randomness, right? Yeah. There, there's more of an element of randomness to that. And it does, it, it created that element uh, for us, which, you know, really RJ, when you think about it, did most of the races play out where the best car was up, toward the front. Yeah. Most of them played out the same, really that practice that we were doing that all that extra time at the racetrack, was it, was it really affecting the racing product? Like when you watch the race, you go, these races are worse because there was no practice. I don't feel like any of us walked away with that. And, and really I thought about something here um, to, to go into a whole other thing here. You think about the pandemic and how that affected so many people's lives, but also there was this entire swell for, for racial justice in the country as well with George Floyd's death and all of that that happened in, kind of in the middle of the year and, and how NASCAR kind of found themselves at a real crossroads with this as well uh, with banning the Confederate flag. And, and that's another thing that I just think about in the, in the grand scheme of the year here, when we go NASCAR 2020, what a year of change for the sport and, and a shift in thinking that I think we all felt was necessary but it, it was almost kind of a forced creativity that had to come out of, a, out of a tough situation. And out of this, we saw that our sport can actually be pretty nimble when it has to be. We can be a little bit more adaptive when we have to be. Where we, we were, I think we were pictured this and, and all the machinations of NASCAR operating very slowly. And that change uh, would come very subtly. And over time, and, and there's so many partners. And that's one thing that NASCAR would say very often as well. There's, you know, there's so many, you know, uh, people that we have to include. And, and they talk about like the different areas uh, within the industry to get everybody on the same page. And it's like, no, we had to be nimble right now. We had to, we had to make changes right now. And it came from the top down and it came from NASCAR who enforced a lot of this and, and collectively got that feedback from us and made, I feel like, mostly really smart decisions with a lot of this um, and, and, and made the best out of a, a weird situation. And, and clearly it was the best out of it if we're still incorporating a lot of this moving forward from now. And so that's what, you know, RJ, when we think about the entire year as a whole for the industry, not just me personally, but as, as an entire industry, um, it is going to go down as a remarkable 
year, probably the biggest year in the history of the sport when it comes to changing how we do things cataclysmically from one season to the next. Uh, it, it has completely shifted everything that we have done uh, as a sport moving forward. Yeah, we were in the spotlight a lot. NASCAR was in the spotlight on so many separate occasions from when we were coming back from COVID and when all the, you know, the social injustice things were happening. We have been in the spotlight a lot. And I felt like we have done an amazing job, you know, with with uh, a lot of people like to give NASCAR heck. And there's things that uh, that NASCAR has done wrong as a sport. Every sport does things wrong sometimes. But I felt like you know, looking back on this year, there's, there were a lot of positives that NASCAR was able to do because of the circumstances that we were in, you know, there were a lot of pressure on, you know, Steve Phelps and, and Steve O'Donnell and those guys to make these decisions this year. Uh, there was a lot of pressure on Bubba Wallace most of the year uh, to perform, you know, to, to speak out about everything. The drivers, I think the drivers did incredible this year. Uh, you know, Jimmy Johnson's final year, uh, you know, Kevin Harvick was in the spotlight a lot just because he was winning everything. Um, and they were, you know, we were just, the spotlight was on NASCAR a lot this year. And there's been a lot of new fans, you know, and celebrities are great. And I felt like a lot of these new celebrities, I think uh, Bernard Pollard Jr. Uh, is awesome. His Twitter is amazing yeah. because he's like a new, he was a new fan of the sport and he was always asking questions. And and I love the racing fan base. Everyone was responding to him and, and telling him, you know, he was wondering, uh, what was going on with, you know, pit stops or whether it was just the racing, uh, Bernard Pollard was awesome. I know, uh, Alvin Kamara went, uh, the new Orleans saints running back. He, I think he, he was at one of the races. I don't know if he was at Talladega or Bristol. He might've been at both actually. No, I think he went to Homestead. Um, and then I think he waved the green flag, uh, for the all-star race. Kamara was there. And he was also like live streaming the entire Martinsville race on Instagram. And that got a ton of eyes on that race. Um, but NASCAR was just in the spotlight a lot, you know, this year. And we did a, I think a very good job. I'd give NASCAR an A plus on everything that we've been able to do this year and expand as a sport, uh, and all the moves. It is just, it's definitely been a crazy year for the sport. That's will go down probably as, as one of the most significant in the sports history. Absolutely. And, uh, I get to say that I was, about this, eh, I'm very, very, very small little part of it. Uh, got to, got to be involved in that, and uh, what, a, what a cool thing to be able to say. Yeah, it's yeah. You were, you were a part of it. You're, you're the driver, and you're an owner. You know, you, you do a lot of things in the sport <laughs> uh, in the Xfinity series, and I think one thing just to shift gears here real quick because there was some news this week. Everyone's enjoying their holidays and the New Year's, and if everyone's wondering about the news, it'll probably there'll be some more news probably after New Year's or in this time span once everyone's done you know, with the holidays. This is kind of the dry spot that we knew you know was coming every year with the off season. Everyone's everyone's always you know looking for Adam Stern uh, something to come out, but. There was news that, and and this can kind of shift into our talk, kind of talking about previewing the Daytona 500 because there are a lot of young names, and we mentioned Chase Briscoe. We know what he's doing next year. He'll be running for Rookie of the Year. Uh, Ross Chastain, I don't think, will be eligible for Rookie of the Year because they made him eligible a few years ago when he ran like every race but two with Premium Motorsports. You know, it's unfortunate because he spent that year just you know, running around and keeping the car clean and everything and didn't really get to challenge for anything significant. 
um, unless they somehow make him eligible, which would be cool. Um, but then you got Anthony Alfredo possibly with front row motorsports. He'd be a young gun, uh, in that race. You got Justin Haley who will run some races with colleague. We saw him laying you know, last year and years past. Um, but Noah Gregson is, uh, supposedly supposed to run the Daytona 500 for beard motorsports in 62. And that's a car that I didn't think was going to come back. You know, it was powered by Brennan gone and all the money that he brought into the car. But you have to assume this is something with from Hendrick and maybe, and they wanted to get, you know, JRM, they wanted to get Noah Gregson in a car. And if it happens, then, hey, Noah Gregson, and he does have to qualify into the race. So he's going to have to race a little aggressively in those duels. So I think the young talent, just as an overview, you know, for this Daytona 500, the entry list is looking pretty nice. Yeah, absolutely. And, and, and I like that. I like that Noah – He's kind of taking a chance with a smaller team, but a smaller team with a proven track record of qualifying into these races on speed. That that Beard uh, Motorsports team has put together good qualifying efforts with RCR-powered, or excuse me, ECR-powered cars. Uh, they have a partnership there with RCR Racing where they get their equipment. Uh, they're going to put a good car on the racetrack. It's going to be a good competitive car. And, and Brendan always took the approach of, I'm going to qualify in on speed, lock myself in, and then I'm going to take it really easy in this duel and, and kind of stay out of the way. And then even in the race, I'm going to lag back, wait for some wrecks, kind of pick my spot. And Brendan put himself in some great spots for some great runs at those restrictor plate races that he ran there in the last few years. And I think Noah would, would be smart to do kind of the same thing, right? As a rookie, when you're going in there, you know – you're not going to wind up getting the drafting help. People aren't going to go with you the way they would with a veteran. Uh, and Brennan Gaughan even knew this as somebody that was racing on a small team. He said, you know what? I really got to pick, gotta pick my spots. Let all these guys that even they, even though they respect me and they know me, they, they almost have to believe in the car to trust me. <laughs> so Noah's going to be fighting it the other way, right? As a rookie coming in, they're not going to trust him in the draft uh, the way that they would uh, a veteran. So Noah's going to have to kind of prove himself in that way. I think a smart way to approach that race would be drop back first couple of segments, feel it out, kind of stay out of trouble and then go for it at the end. And look, Noah's an aggressive driver. He's going to make those moves at the end when he has to. And look at Daytona. He's going to be in a pretty good car. He's going to have a shot at a good run. Yeah. And I'm just adding up the list here there. We, we talked about this, I think like three or four episodes ago um, about the cars that were locked in or were entering the 500 and how many cars we would see. Uh, I think we were talking about the 42, 43 range, but right now uh, there would be 42 uh, confirmed entries into the Daytona 500. And that's not counting a second MBM car, not counting Gaunt brothers racing and not counting and this is an interesting scenario I wanted uh, to talk about as well, because there was an Adam Stern tweet that came out this week um, about the money team Inspire teaming up to have an entry. And I would assume that could just end up being what would uh, assumed as Spire's second car, uh, the money team racing. So not counting that ride. So that could add it up to 45 question mark, you know, all these, and we'll see <laughs> whether teams, you know, like MBM say, okay, we got all this competition. Is it worth it entering the 49 car? You know, is yeah, it worth Carl, it? And Carl, by the way, look, not, not to step all over this here for a second, but RJ, but Carl did confirm they're going to bring Timmy Hill and Chad Fincham down there again. Oh, so there awesome. will be two MBM. There awesome. will be two MBM entries. Awesome. So two entries with Timmy Hill and Chad Finch, and that would bring it up to 43. 
Um, and also, that's also not counting the 44, um, which NY, NY Racing posted a little cryptic post on their, on their Instagram saying 2021 with the 44 and NY Racing. And look, we've seen this movie before. We saw how it happened last time. We hoped that they could make an entry uh, into the Daytona 500. Don't smear the 44. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, the 44. Oh, yeah. That's there, the 44. Another man that drives the 44 in the in the NASCAR Xfinity series. And and who knows? Maybe maybe uh they could go out and do very well in the 44 and, and put a good name on the 44. I don't know. But well, the beautiful thing about Daytona, RJ, and, and we're gonna add up this list, and I, obviously it's gonna come in a little bit more into focus here within the next month or so. Um, but the thing about Daytona, and, and this is what makes Daytona so awesome to me, and what really made dual day such a special day to me in the past um, when it was uh, the twins uh, back when I was younger the twin 125s and now it's the the dual 150s uh, it was this ability for the unknown everybody had to race their way into this race and now with the charters that is a smaller opportunity right but there is still the opportunity for anybody that we're going to name as an open car to race their way into the Daytona 500. And, and that has kind of been admittedly a little lackluster over the last few years because of the number of cars that have been showing up for the race, right? That barrier of entry was so high, but now here towards the end of the technological cycle with this car, this gen six car that we have had now for so long, you're seeing some of these teams kind of taking a chance with a car that maybe they, they won't ever have a chance with again as the cycle turns over with the new car in 2022. So seeing that and how that's playing out with a bigger car count, it's going to make the duels must watch TV is you're going to probably have three or four guys in each one of those, probably with some good cars mixed in with some other, probably not as good cars, but anything can happen at a restrictor plate race. And we saw that in the duels, even last year with Corey LaJoy getting involved in an incident with Timmy Hill uh, at the end of one of those duels, really just trying to stay out of the way. It kind of gets collected in it because guys like Corey, or excuse me, guys like Timmy, guys like JJ Yaley, they were trying to make the race on <laughs> in the duel. They have to race a certain way and they are having to race for every inch of ground they got. And when you got that going on with some guys that they have, it's it's live or die that 150 miles um, with a quarter million dollars worth of prize money on the line and making that Daytona 500 the biggest payday that we have in, in NASCAR racing uh, that to me is compelling television that, that's television that I got to watch and, and I know that that's going to be as much fun as it's been in a long time and Noah Graxon remember the only two people that are locked in those four open spots the two fastest in single car qualifying are locked in. So we're only going to get one car out of each one of those duels. So there's going to be a winner from each one of those duels who gets into the Daytona 500. And that's going to be really a fascinating, fun watch. That's going to shed some spotlight on some lesser known drivers, some smaller teams and, and really cool opportunities. 
Yeah, that was a big thing uh, last year because I know they had an interview uh, with Timmy Hill at the end of that. And he reiterated how important that was like this, like if we didn't make this race, like it's over, like we need this paycheck. And he, he reiterated and that was awesome. And I think it really does put the spotlight on those smaller teams in the back trying to make the race. And there are times where we go into qualifying day and we know probably who we're going to qualify. Like last year, it was the 16 of Justin Haley and the 62 of Brennan gone because those are two very fast Chevys that are powered by bigger teams and we kind of knew that they were going to race their way in and the battle was between i think it was suarez yaley uh timmy hill and fincham back there um battling in the duels for those final spots so for this year um it will probably have the colleague car as the open car which will probably be justin haley we will have the 62 of noah gregson but one thing i would like would want to watch is austin Sindrick. Uh, does he get imported into this race? Because they did say he was going to run um, some cup races this year. And I would assume it would be races that have qualifying so he could qualify his way in. So why not pass up on speed weeks? If you can get yourself a Penske car in the show. I mean, why not? I would. So Austin, remember what else are they going to do with the cars? Yeah. It's the last year. (laughs) What else? Might as well use them. I mean, you know, you throw Austin Cindric in there and, Another interesting thing to watch could be the 96 because I, I wouldn't expect them to run a full season this year I, at all. Like I, there's really no drivers. I mean, the drivers that they tried to get uh, are back, you know, with Joe Gibbs racing Xfinity's team. Um, they tried to get that money. Um, but I think unless a funded driver doesn't come around for gone brothers racing, I wouldn't see them running a full season, but does that turn into something where, you know, they somehow get an extra, you know, Joe Gibbs racing throws a driver in there for a Daytona 500 or, uh, or another race during the season. Does that happen? Uh, that could add another car that on Daytona 500 qualifying day, maybe that's someone to watch with the speed. Uh, Cause you know, two cars do lock themselves in, but I think it'll be really only two, only two. Only so two. we talk about all these guys bringing an extra car or something else and a, and a bullet. And they're going to try to qualify it on time. Well, they can't all qualify it on time. Yep. Only two of them get to qualify on time. And so if we're going to have 44, 45 cars trying to make this show, okay, that's great. That means you're going to have three people, four people potentially in each of those races that have to go. They have to go or go home. It's not a one-on-one matchup like we saw the last few years. It's literally going to be three or four cars of which you might have a couple slower cars, and a couple pretty pretty fast cars, and that to me creates the drama. If you if if I go okay, look, I'm racing, and, and this is not to to make fun of anybody here, but like Timmy Timmy and and Chad with the MBM entries, they kind of knew they were limited with their speed. Like they almost had to block more, they had to fight more for every single position they had, and they had to be more aggressive. Okay, well if I'm in the faster car, I feel the same way about the other faster car that I'm racing. And so do they like take each other out and then create an opportunity for, for kind of a complete upset to make the, the 500? Like that's the kind of stuff that I look for. And, and I think it's going to be a lot of fun, a lot of fun to watch. And, and knowing the drivers that we're going to have uh, in these rides full time um, and how that's kind of started to take shape with Michael Jordan starting a team and Denny Hamlin being a part of that and Bubba going to a new team and Eric Jones going over to the 43 and all the silly season movement that we've got daytona is always that that kind of open up the garage door and kind of roll it up the fresh paint for the new season all the new 
uh, crew shirts and suits and everything and, and all the colors and, and kind of getting back to, to what we love to do. Yeah. As we, we talk about those new rides, uh, just as a kind of a question, why, who, who do you think in the NASCAR cup series, uh, in a new ride, we can, we can kind of go series by series. If there's, if there's a guy, uh, I guess we could say in a new ride in the NASCAR cup series, who do you think has the most to prove? Would you say Christopher Bell? Absolutely. So Christopher Bell makes the move from, uh, Levine family racing, uh, up to kind of the big show takes Eric Jones spot up there at, uh, Joe Gibbs racing and Eric Jones won races at Joe Gibbs racing. And, uh, obviously didn't make the playoffs this year. That was kind of the, that was the big knock, uh, or did he make, right. He didn't make the playoffs or he made it, got eliminated early. I think that either way didn't, didn't advance far in the playoffs. Uh, I don't want to be wrong about this. Uh, but didn't have the type of year comparable to his other teammates was clearly the fourth in line of success there at Joe Gibbs racing. And, and they made that change. Okay. So if you're the guy now, if you're Chris Rebell coming in there and all the hype and Toyota and everybody behind you, this is the year that you got to deliver. And I feel like Chris Rebell was admirable with the year that he put together. When you play it straight up against Matt Benedetto, it was not as successful a year. I will tell you that there was some equipment and some other stuff behind the scenes that had something to do with that. But regardless, it's put up a shut up time now for Christopher Bell. Like you're the, you're the prospect you have had now, this is year number six or seven in NASCAR at the highest levels where you've run a truck, you have run Xfinity for a couple of years. You have now run cup for a year. You have gotten, all this time and experience. And now this is the shot. It's all been building to this one moment and here it is. And so I think, I think the pressure is really on Christopher Bell going on this next year. For sure. I think Christopher Bell has definitely a lot of pressure. Uh, like you talked about with everything that he has had uh, and now coming up, he's, I feel like he's definitely in an Eric Jones sort of situation. How, what Eric Jones was in a few years ago, because he came in his first year was with in a front row or no, a furniture row racing car, the 77, which wasn't as powerful as a 78, but still was a Toyota car. That was kind of year to learn and kind of like what Christopher Bell had with Levine family racing. And now, now you're on the big stage. Now you're in the number 20 car at Joe Gibbs racing. And there's definitely a lot of pressure on him uh, to perform. And I think Eric Jones is the total opposite. I don't think anyone's expecting Eric Jones to go out and perform in the 43, but it's kind of like an optimistic thing. Like if he does, then that's awesome. You know, Eric Jones is a wheel man and I'm sure he can put the 43 in great places and hopefully they continue to get better as a team. Cause you know, they haven't been great. Um, for a while and hopefully Eric Jones can kind of bring some, some experience in there because he has it with Joe Gibbs racing and hopefully you can bring some experience in there and definitely propel uh, the 43 uh, to big levels. And I look at the Xfinity series, I'm kind of skimming through what's so far uh, confirmed in there. There is, I feel like there's a lot of people with, with things to prove in the Xfinity series. And that's always the gist going into the season because, you know, names are made here. That's the slogan and everyone's got something to prove in the Xfinity series. Um, so a lot of, a lot of new faces and new, and, and new rides. Uh, is there an Xfinity series name that, that catches your eye that in a big ride that has something to prove this year? No, Gregson. Uh, so no, Gregson heading into year three, with junior motorsports and, and coming off of a full season with, with Kyle Busch motorsports and, and seasons of running 
late models at a high level. And, and so now we're, we're entering year five of Noah Gragson doing this, uh, year four of top level NASCAR, really year four and a half, really of doing it at, at, at the, uh, the top three level. And Noah puts himself out there as a guy that is aggressive, charges to the front of the field, uh, puts on a show, um, obviously just very cavalier with how he handles himself with the media and everything else. Okay. So well, spotlights on you and you're in a top level car where Justin Allgaier has made the final four for the last few years. You have a teammate that has done it. Uh, one of your biggest competitors in chase Briscoe has now moved on. Does that open a spot in that final four? And I think if it does that, this is the moment for Noah Gragson to put himself in that final four and kind of take that, that step to, all right, I want to, I want to prove myself cup level driver. I think that's what you're going to have to do. And I look at him and I also look at Jeb Burton as a guy um, and Jeb Burton and, and also uh, Daniel Hemrick, yeah. all three of them really a little bit different, right? Noah's ha- had this opportunity. It's about capitalizing on the opportunity he's had for a few years for Hemrick and Jeb, really, Hemrick's kind of getting another chance at it. Jeb is getting his first real chance at it in a top-level, winning-level ride. And, and both of those guys kind of look at this like, this might be my last chance. Like This might be my last shot, only shot that I'm going to get. And so you're going to have some guys racing with – you talk about something to prove. I mean, those are three guys right there that I think of that are going to be racing with a chip on their shoulder all, all year long. Yeah, I would definitely say the same thing. And for Noah Gregson, uh, you brought up a lot of interesting points about, you know, the people that are coming in and out in the Xfinity series. And you think now is the time he's got to go. You also think of the history of the nine car, right? Chase Elliott, championship, William Byron, championship. Um, And now Noah Gregson comes into this number nine car. And we've seen the number nine car win so many times, win all these championships, go out and beat uh, the guys that Noah Gregson is competing with, or the cars at least that Noah Gregson's competing against. And, you know, with Chase Briscoe, the dominant force gone, I think Austin Sindrick is the guy that everyone's going to be looking. Well, obviously, Austin Sindrick is the champion. So everyone is going to be looking, how can we beat Austin Sindrick in this Penske racing car? Uh, Noah Gregson is a big name that is definitely going to need to step up. And the definitely one of the guys that you named, and that's who I was thinking of, was Daniel Hemrick. Because Daniel Hemrick, right, he does very solid in the 21 when he was racing for RCR. He does solid. He gets the promotion uh, to cup and Richard Childress racing was not in the greatest spot. Then I think they're definitely better now than they were uh, a year ago or two years ago when Hemrick was running with them in cup his rookie season. He comes in, does not perform very well. He wins rookie of the year and yes, but you know, his only competition was JTG uh, and Ryan priest in his rookie year. So he gets booted out of that for Tyler Reddick, which I honestly think if you got Tyler Reddick sitting there saying, give me the cup right now, or I'm going somewhere else, give it to Tyler Reddick. Uh, and he did very solid this year. So Hemrick goes yeah. back down and he goes to junior motorsports and he, he did have some bad luck this year. Uh, you know, unfortunate incidents where he was running pretty well, but the thing everyone wants to see from Hemrick is okay. We need you to get that win, right? He's been, he's been very consistent, but we need him to get the win. And I think for Hemrick now puts himself in a full-time ride, Joe Gibbs racing. You know, I, I, I like it for Joe Gibbs racing because they wanted an experienced driver to come in there and run the 18 car. And for Hemrick 
to get in there. It's, it's race winning. I'd say championship winning equipment. The pressure is definitely on um, for Daniel Hemrick to get the job done, to get, to get that 18 car in victory lane for sure this year. Yeah. He's put himself in a position that all of us would love to be in, right? A chance to go win a championship in a championship level car. The catch here being like Daniel Hemrick has always had that like, well, look, he's been in a good car, but it wasn't ever the best car, right? And go, well, he hasn't won a race, but, you know, he's never really been in elite equipment. He's been in really good stuff. And he's been close several times, but and it, it almost sounds like the excuse machine. And, and by the way, I think Daniel Hemrick's really good, but there is the undercurrent of that. And I'm sure that has to frustrate the heck out of Daniel Hemrick. Well, you put yourself in a position now where there are no excuses, you are in what everybody agrees to be the best car in the series. Uh, Joe Gibbs Racing for the last 20 years has dominated the Xfinity series, quite frankly, from an equipment standpoint. They have been head and shoulders above, and that is proof in the pudding every time Kyle Busch gets in a car. So you have now put yourself in a position where if you don't perform this year, there, there is nothing else to really back it up. And Daniel Hemrick knows that. He has accepted it. He has stepped forward. He has owned it. And I think he's going to deliver with it. But that is there. And that pressure is there. And you're right. When it comes to the pressure on someone, Daniel Hemrick, he, he's definitely got to be up there at the top of the list. Yeah. Now, this most of the stuff that you know we're rifling off on here is from an in-depth perspective. We're really looking into what drivers, their current situations um, how does that apply to how much pressure they will have this year? Um, but if I were to look kind of as an outsider, you know, as a, from, you know, just from media, from Twitter, from Twitter, who has the most pressure from Twitter this year? Um, I would probably say Bubba Wallace for the cup series because he's in the, you know, the Michael Jordan, Denny Hamlin car. I mean, the spotlight is on Bubba Wallace, you know, to perform this year, um, for the truck series, I would for sure say Haley Deegan because all the eyes are on Haley Deegan um, from the outside, uh, from Twitter to hopefully she does well. And, and then I'd say in the Xfinity series, I'd say maybe Riley Herbst from all the, you know, the outsider perspective, everyone's gonna, because everyone likes to, to bang on Riley Herbst for, you know, not succeeding as well as he could have in his rookie season. And we've talked about this a lot, how it was just a rough year for everybody. And Riley Herbst will go to Stuart Haas and do very well. But those were probably the three names from each series that I would say um, I just go to, you know, say Twitter. I know you like to say Reddit, maybe from a from a Twitter and Reddit users. Those have they'll probably put the most pressure uh, on those three to go out and do something this year, at least from my perspective. Yeah, absolutely. I think you're pretty close to on the money with a lot of that. I, I think Riley obviously is feeling a lot of pressure. Now, some of that, and, and just about all of that is external pressure on Riley. I don't think a lot of that is internal pressure. I think Riley understands, I mean, he wants to compete and do well as well, you know, but, but really that's from us on the outside going, well, we know what that car is capable of and you're underperforming. Yeah. And the impression being that Riley is just some spoiled rich kid that's hopping in a car and taking away a seat from a guy like a Daniel Hemrick. When what we know is that that's just not at all how the business works. <laughs> it's just not, you know, Riley Herbst being in the car isn't taking away a chance from someone else. The car wouldn't exist if Riley and his family weren't able to put together the sponsorship to go do it. Okay. It wouldn't be there. So that's not a good way of looking at it, but it did put a lot of pressure on him. 
And obviously it had to be considered an underperforming year. I mean, obviously it did compared to his other teammates. When you are in a stable of cars and you perform the worst, then of course the pressure is going to be on you. And now you get in a car that was a championship contender and won the most races in the series the year before. Okay. You know what you're signing up for. You're getting the X marked on your back for criticism if you're not able to perform. Riley knows what he's stepping into, and I think he's going to step it up a little bit this year. Yeah, I think there will be a lot of eyes on the Xfinity Series this year. Now, we talk about NASCAR in general expanding this year and becoming a very broad sport, the spotlight's on. I think there will definitely be a lot of you know people tuned in to the Xfinity Series and Truck Series this year, and they put on some great shows and I'm looking forward to the truck series, the Xfinity series. You know, I say it a lot on this podcast. I'm very excited about the Xfinity series. I mean, we always talk about the dynamic of the sport and you wish everyone would understand that and watch it kind of in that way. Um, And we talked about how TV presents the Xfinity series, you know, and we talk about, you know, the inside battles, you know, there's multiple different battles going on in the field. There's the battle for, for 15th, which, in that area seems like a win for that team. Um, you know, if we're, if we're talking about, you know, if Jeremy Clemens is racing Ryan Sieg, you know, that's, that's, well, Ryan Sieg has definitely progressed. That team has progressed a lot, uh, you know, in the past few years, you know, but if, if, uh, if Martin's Motorsports is having an on-track battle with, I'm trying to think Brandon Brown, the 68. 68's battle in the 44. That's that's a big battle on track for for you guys. And there's multiple different battles going on. And like you said, Jeremy Clemens, he brought up very interesting points. Like the 98 at Richmond. Richmond was very interesting because I mean that that was just crazy the way they, I mean your team rich. did super well. And the 98 and Joe Gibbs Racing totally missed it. Right. Like Chase Briscoe's in 14th, and he's like, Oh my goodness, like this day is terrible. And you're in 14th driving by him saying, this is amazing. You know, this is the best thing, um, you know, the best thing, but this is awesome driving by Chase Briscoe for 14th. And I think the Jokic racing cars were getting lapped that race. I know, I think, uh, I think Harrison Burton, Herbst, and uh, I think all those guys got lapped at some point at Richmond. But I think that was definitely a very interesting point last week of talking about how, you know, you passing, or him passing Chase Briscoe for 14th. Oh, this is awesome. And he's sitting in there like, what the heck? Just like, what is going on? Right, right. right. We are terrible. What's <laughs> going on? I'm, I'm moving uh, the 20 of Harrison Burton for, for a top 15 there at the end of the race. I put the bumper to him there for a top 15. And I'm sure Harrison's going, you know, I just got passed by BJ McLeod Motorsports car. And now here comes the 44 by me. You know, th- we're this is embarrassing. And, and in fact, Harrison got out of the car and said that, right? So, and then meanwhile, we're going, man, we're, we're beating a Gibbs car. So, yeah, that, that is, that's fun. And it's not just fun for us. I've heard this from other people that say that level of uh, unpredictability is more fun. Like, that's why you're watching NASCAR. Like, guess what? The races that everybody loved in Formula One this year were the topsy-turvy races where Mercedes had a problem And then it just turned into a free-for-all because the middle of the pack was so close from third to 12th was very close in, in formula one. Right. But, but everybody kind of knew who the the winner was going to be every week. So that kind of takes away some of the fun of it when you know, two of the three on the podium. Well, when that was gone, it was a wild card of a race. 
Uh, and so I think NASCAR should be looked to that it ought to be a wild card of a race every week. We don't know who's going to win. Like there's 10, 15 cars that could win every single week in the Xfinity series. And, and that's going to be a lot of fun in the cup series, 20 cars that you think could win every week. Like that's, that's what we do the best. And, and I think NASCAR is, you know, we think about all the things that have changed in the sport. That's the thing that is still going to stay true. Like we're going to have more cars, more drivers that have an opportunity to win on a week to week basis than other forms of motorsports. Yeah. You bring up a good point with F1. You know, if you're an F1 fan, you're an F1 fan. And most of the people that get excited about those races are into the sport. They know which teams are capable of winning and they know which teams are just battling to get in the points. And that's what makes it really interesting. And, and they tell those stories on the broadcast because, you know, there's about 20 cars in those races and they, you know, say which teams are powerful and which teams are not. And, you know, the Xfinity series is, is almost like that. If they were to present it in that way, you know, like, like Lewis Hamilton having a problem on pit road and Sergio Perez comes and wins the race. That's almost like if, you know, Kyle Busch has a problem in the Xfinity series and up oh, here comes Jeremy Clemens. He's going to win. Yeah. You know, that's, yeah. that's kind of what the stories are. And, and people who do watch the Xfinity series regularly and get into the sport uh, know which teams are the powerhouses, you know, like the, like we talk about the 12 locked in playoff spots and which teams are not. And, you know, the family owned teams, single car teams, and I think for sure, if, if they went out and I think they get better at it each year, I feel like on the broadcasts telling those stories and who has what. Um, and I think if that's something that I think that's something that they should, should do more, you know, and make those underdog stories. Cause everyone loves underdog stories. I mean, no, nobody really doesn't like underdog stories. I love underdog stories. That's my favorite part about uh, sometimes watching the Xfinity series and the truck series is the underdogs that get up there. I mean, um, uh, I mean, you get in the top 15 at Richmond, Matt Mills finished 13th. I believe that race because he started the next day. And that was yeah. awesome because you finished 15th and you got to sit on the pole the next day. Yeah, and absolutely. I think they kind of explained that too the next day saying, well, if you're wondering why Tommy Joe Martins is leading right now <laughs> and Matt Mills is in third, uh, it would be because they had very great days yesterday, but you know, they're not, at, they don't have as much as Joe Gibbs racing. Um, and Joe Gibbs racing had a bad day. You know, those storylines were pretty cool when they uh, brought him into the next day. And I definitely think that's something I'm looking forward to. Hopefully that they do more, you know, with the Xfinity and truck series. Yeah, absolutely. I think the, the opportunities are there to tell these stories and, and I want everybody to embrace them. And, and that's one of the reasons why we're doing the podcast, right? RJ to kind of be able to tell some of these different stories and different perspectives. And I appreciate you, uh, you kind of getting this thing going and, and doing all the work. And I get to come in here once a week and chat with you and, and have a lot of fun. And it's, uh, it's been a lot of fun doing it. Uh, hope you had a, a happy holidays and a, and a happy new year. And I guess I'll be talking to you on the other side. Yeah. Well, we'll be talking to you on the other side and talking to everybody on their other side. And as, as far as guests, we'll get that situated. There's been, I think pretty sure we mentioned that last podcast. We are, there, there's a man who commentates college basketball now, and everybody knows who he is, Alan Bestwick. And we are you know, trying, you know, with COVID and basketball, their schedules keep getting flip-flopped around. He's trying to figure out what he's doing. But we're hoping 
that next week to kick off the new year, we can have Alan Bestwick on here and talk about some lot of stuff. I know he has a lot of great stories that he could tell on here, and I'm really looking forward to it. If we can have uh, Alan Bestwick on the podcast and we could talk about that stuff like TV and what the announcers are told to talk about and everything, because Alan Bestwick is I mean, he's the man when you when you think of NASCAR commentating, there are names that come up and you think of Alan Bestwick. And hopefully he'll he will be back someday uh, in the sport. That's we can only we hope. hope. <laughs> we hope, only- yes. And we could probably we'll probably end up pitching that to him towards the towards the end or even in the beginning of the show. We'll be like, please, please come back. It's really a recruiting video, is really all we're yeah. making. Uh, yeah, we'll tell some stories and then we'll end it with, you know, hey, you should you should come back to NASCAR. Right. But- that's that's what we're hoping. We're hoping to kick off the new year with an awesome guest uh, in Alan Bestwick. And if that's something that the viewers are looking forward to, then that's awesome. But that has that has been it. Nine episodes down uh, towards the end of 2020. Uh, it's been awesome doing this and we keep progressing this thing uh, every week, learning the, the podcasting uh, business and how it works and everything like that. And 2021 will be hopefully an awesome year for for podcasting, for racing, uh, and for everybody watching. So episode nine in the books, and hopefully everyone has an awesome new year and happy 2021. If you've made it this far, we'd like to thank you for listening to the Drivers Meeting Podcast. We appreciate all the support. And if you liked it, make sure to subscribe, follow, and stay tuned for upcoming episodes. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube. You know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks? That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.